First Corinthians chapter 3, uh, we've been in what is unofficially a series called B1. B1. We started the year being still, which I know is against many of our, uh, whether we say it's a value or not, we like to be in motion. And so we started the year being still. Uh, Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. If we're not still, oftentimes it's because we are arrogant enough to think that we are the ones who are going to make it all happen. How I many you know you'd work really, really hard? Some, like, how many of you guys know that every once in a while you work really, really hard and nothing good happens? And then other times you work really, really hard and good things happen. And you realize now that no matter how hard you work, that ultimately it's about what's happening in your spirit, your soul, and your heart. And that if your soul is not healthy, and what I would tell you is soul, and I'm so not preaching my message right now, but I would tell you that your soul is the coming together of mind, will, and body. That you are, you are putting all the pieces together. The, an unhealthy soul is when your body is doing something that your spirit is saying no to, and you're, you are beginning to pull apart the elements of what God has made you to become healthy and to be whole. And, and so we, saw, we talked about being still in January. Rather than going and pursuing something, being still. And then we thought, what's, what's another thing we should be? And so we started a couple weeks ago at John chapter 17, and Jesus is praying his prayer right before uh, he goes to the cross. And he prays his prayer, and he says, I want them to be one as you and I are one. That's Jesus' prayer. And I believe it's his prayer still to this day that the body of Christ, that the people of God would be one that they would be united. In fact, I think if you were to really read Paul's letters and really begin to take a 30,000-foot view of what Paul's trying to get across, you would find out that in most cases, he's trying to get you to be in agreement and to be in unity and to be in relationship and to love one another fully and completely. When you begin to realize the things he addresses, he's talking about things that separate us, divide us, hurt each other, offend one another, and how we should forgive, and how we should give grace, and how we should have... Uh, that's why we talk about the fruit of the Spirit isn't really all that good unless you're in relationship. And a lot of the times, not all of them, but many of those have to do with your relationship to others, right? The fruit of the Spirit is not that you love yourself, but that you love people, Right? That you have kindness towards people, that you have self-control around people. So like there's this, there's this element of what Paul's trying to get across to us that is, yeah, we would be one with Christ, but that in being one with Christ, we would be one with others. How many of you know we need some, a little bit more of that these days in our country, in our culture? So 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to read a few verses, and I'm so excited. This is what happens. I get really excited about a message, and I forget all my notes. So I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit speaks to you in some really good ways. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 through 9. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would talk to spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another, and you quarrel with each other. I'm sure you guys use that word quarrel all the time. Boys, quit quarreling with one another. Doesn't that prove? That you are controlled by your sinful nature. Aren't you living like people of the world, unchanged? When, you, when one of you says, I am a follower of Paul, and another says, I am a follower of Apollos, aren't you acting just like people of the world, attaching your value or your identity to people or things of this earth? Yes, that was my amplified translation of that verse. After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? Obviously, he knows the answer to that question. He's being a little bit sarcastic. Who are we? 
We are only God's servants through whom you believed with the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts. Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. Sounds like unity to me. With the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are God's workers. And you are God's field. And you are God's building. Let's pray. I, I want to pray. I'm going to give you the title of the message today. Are you ready? I know this is a little cheeky. I think this is what British people say. Um, let's get spiritual. Spiritual. This is not a message on sex. I just want to be really clear about this. Um, this is not a message on somebody like, whoa, this is getting inappropriate already. This is not this, this but I want us, that's, that's the title. That's just, I was inspired. Um, let's get spiritual, spiritual. And some of you young people don't even know what song that is, and that's a shame. Well, no, it's not a shame. It's actually a good thing. Don't, don't go listen to it. Um, don't go. No. I almost put it on Instagram story, and I felt like, well, anyways. Let me pray over this this morning. Let's get spiritual for a second. Lord, I thank you so much for today. I pray that your word uh, really does pierce through um, all the issues of life, all the things that we're dealing with, all the things that we're wrestling with, all the things that we're thinking about. And I pray that you begin to bring life and hope and joy. I pray that whatever I speak is not of me, but it's for, from you. I pray that um, the things that are from me, that people would be able to discern and be able to get rid of. And I pray that ultimately what comes out of this is that we see Jesus, that we see you fully and completely for everything that you are and everything that you can be in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have you ever heard someone say they're spiritual? Not religious, but spiritual. Or if you ask them about, do you love Jesus? And they go, well, I don't, I really choose sides, but I am spiritual. I, 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 I love the phrase. I understand what people are trying to say because the reality is, and, and Scripture would teach you, that you are. Everything is. You are spiritual. That, you can't really deny You can't actually say with any real truth, I'm not spiritual. Because you are. It's why so many of the things that you deal with, you can't explain according to some kind of physical that you're going, why do I feel, why am I, doing, why am I thinking about this? Why? You are spiritual. So the idea that you say it doesn't necessarily make it more or less true. The, the problem is that Paul isn't really trying to get at the idea that you are spiritual, but that, that what he's trying to say here is that when, you, when I call you spiritual, what I'm trying to say is you are spirit-led, that you are spirit-influenced. In fact, the whole prior chapter in 1 Corinthians, just before chapter 3, now, if you don't know what, what would happen is Paul would write a letter. He didn't write it with numbers. He didn't write it broken up into chapters. He wrote a letter and sent it, and we broke it up into chapters because it's easier to reference. So in context, he would have been writing about, in fact, the last verse of chapter 2 is that we have the mind of Christ, and it's in context talking about the Holy Spirit going and searching the Spirit of God and bringing that to us. He was saying, I don't preach what I come up with. I preach what the Spirit gives me. In other words, I have the mind. God has renewed my mind. God has begun to speak to me, and I speak that to you. So he's talking about this idea that we as people are meant to be spirit-led. And so when he says you, 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 you weren't spiritual, he's not saying that, that you, you just were, oh, well, we, we, I think I'm spiritual. I think I have. He's saying you weren't spirit-led, that there was a next level to it. You weren't spirit-led. So he's trying to get across something here. I wanted to say deeper things to you. 
I wanted to say things that would, went a little bit further, but I couldn't. And he's not necessarily condemning them. He's just saying that at the time when I first came to you, I couldn't speak at a, a certain level. And he gives a couple reasons for this, right? He gives a couple reasons. He says that you were either worldly or you were an infant in Christ. I have a two-year-old. There are certain things that I can't say to my two-year-old and expect him to understand. We learned this from Nancy Houston last week, that your brain forms starting with the emotions and moves forward. In other words, there is a reason your six-month-old or 12-month-old or year-old uh, or your two-year-old yells and screams when they want something, even though you're trying to explain to them why they can't. Because they are not rationalizing the conversation. They are emotionalizing the conversation. They are yearning for something they want, and that's all they can think about. And so what Paul's trying to get across is that either one, you aren't, you aren't yet part of the family. You haven't yet surrendered your life to Jesus. You, I'm almost talking to you like you hadn't heard the good news about Jesus. Or I'm talking to you like, like a young person who, who hasn't quite understood everything that God's trying to do. So I had to, I had to bring it at a different level. I had to bring it in a different way. I had to, I had to keep it a little bit, little bit less. I had to give you milk, not meat, right? And how many of you guys were, were really wanting this steak? I mean, milk's good. I appreciate that. My two-year-old still asks for milk. Hey, I want milk, as though it's like a meal, right? And uh, as though it's like, it's just, it, it, but I, I, I don't really drink much milk anymore, right? My bones are good. We're good. We're in good shape. Uh, but I, but I, don't, I don't drink a lot of milk unless I got a cookie in my hand. And even then, I'm not entirely sure I'm going to drink the milk. I am just using the milk, right? Um, it is a dipping sauce, right? That's all it's for. And, 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 but I, I would much, if you said, hey, I got a steak for you, um, you go to Scott Tresky's house and he makes you a steak, it's good. I will take that steak. I'm all about that steak. But if my, if, if my friend Scott here offered my two-year-old a steak, I would slap him. I wouldn't slap him. Because it's kind of a nice gesture. It's just not smart, right? You just, you just can't give a two-year-old a steak. He's not quite ready for Maybe he's 18. I don't know where you're at. Maybe your two-year-old's like all over it. Uh, ours can handle it. It's, don't, don't look down on my two-year-old. But, 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 but maybe there's certain things you can't give a child because they're still growing and still getting to the place where they can handle particular things. And we, we don't like the idea that that's us, especially in our spiritual life. We like to consider that once we give our lives to Jesus, we figured it all out. As though the, the lame man that Jesus healed and ran out into the streets had somehow sorted out everything in his life simply because God healed him and was allowed to walk again. No, the, 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 he was healed so that he could walk to the things he needed to sort out. See, you have been set free in Jesus. You have been brought to life in Christ so that you might begin to go to the things that you used to consider one way and used to deal with one way and deal with them a new way and begin to consider them a new way. And so God is restoring and moving, and Paul's speaking to these people and saying, hey, I really want to give you more. I really want to give you more, but I can't quite give you more because you're still, you're kind of still at that place where you're not, you're not ready for what's next. And he gave, us, he gave us the two reasons. Either one, you haven't decided to give your life to Jesus, you haven't fully surrendered to him, or, or you're still very new in this, and you haven't quite fully digested what we're already giving you. You haven't quite internalized it. You haven't quite made it part of who you are and ready to move to the next thing and ready to move in just a little bit deeper. So he says, I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. 
I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready. This is one of those where you wish it was a phone call, not a text message kind of thing, right? Like, here's Paul writing a letter to people, and, and, and it's like you wish Paul was there to be able to explain it, but if you're reading this, you know, they would read these letters out loud amongst all people, or they would pass it around, and so you're reading this letter, and it just feels like he's kind of harping on you, right? Like, you weren't ready, and guess what? You still aren't ready, and it's in a letter. It's not, how many of you gotten the text message breakup? Anybody? You know, it's like, listen, if a dude can't, can't tell you to your face, then you probably didn't want him anyways. Please don't get that upset. This isn't a message about relationships, but I'll just tell you, if you let them text into your life, don't be surprised when they text out of it, okay? Don't get mad if you let the gateway be the one the way that he leaves as well. Like, make somebody tell you they want to take you on a date. If they show up at your house for the first date and say, I'm here via text, you should say, well, then you should just move on because you are not allowed in this life if you aren't able to come and get me. Amen? Come on. And, uh, and so, so here's Paul, and he's laying it down. He's going, hey, you weren't ready then, and you still aren't ready. A little bit of a punch to the gut. A little bit of like, oh, Paul, I thought you loved me. I thought you were there for me. And here's the thing. Paul is. There's only one reason Paul's writing the letter to begin with. is because he is with you. If Paul didn't care about you, he wouldn't have written to you. If Paul didn't care about who you are and what God's doing in you, he wouldn't have written to you and said, hey, see, many of us want mentors and we want people who are going to coach us and teach us, but we don't want them to tell us what we're not doing well. The problem is it's usually what we're not doing well that's keeping us from doing everything we could do right. If you are not willing to be corrected, please don't ask someone to talk to you about your life. It doesn't, now I'm not saying, listen, if someone sits down with you and just says, you're terrible, you're terrible, you're terrible, and says, but, well, hey, let's meet next week. You know, like, don't do that. <laughs> I would say it like this. If they can't speak to your future, do not let them speak to your present. If they don't believe in your future, then don't let them just dictate to you or tell you what your future should be. And yes, I could apply that to relationships as well. Do you want me to? If you got a man and who can never see the future, don't let him dictate your present. Do not let him take up too much of your time now because he doesn't see any of your time in the future. So he doesn't deserve your time now. And yes, I'm talking to the fellows because I believe as husbands, you should have a vision for your future. You should have a vision for your family. You are not the only one with a vision, but you should have one. Because when the present circumstances get difficult, you need to be someone who can speak into what is to come. So you, you need to have someone around. You need to have friends who believe in your future. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they believe in it on your current trajectory. Hello? If you have, if if you have some really good friends who have never corrected you, they are not really good friends. I'm serious. I, I think we, 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 have really, we have really simplified friendship to a level that it's really just acquaintanceship, right? It's just, we just know each other. But if you don't have someone in your life who can look at you, Not don't make everybody this person, but if you don't have somebody in your life who can look at you and go, here, have a Snickers. Like, if you don't have that person, <laughs> if you don't have that person, don't, you, then you need that person. And it will take some trial and error. But you need someone who believes in your future. So Paul believed in their future. Paul believed in who they could be. Paul believed in what they could do. And so he's saying to them, you weren't ready then, and you're still not ready, but I want you to be ready, but you're not ready. So I have to keep giving you milk, and I have to keep talking to you like you're a child. I want you to be ready, but I, I'm going to tell you, you're not ready. 
And he actually tells us why we're not ready. Are you ready? Because are you ready for why we're not ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay, because here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is way different than I expected it to be. When he said you're not spiritual enough or you're not spirit-led enough, the reason he said it was different than what I expected it to be. Usually when we think someone's not spiritual enough or not Christian enough or not following Jesus enough, it's because we think they go out and party too much or they have too many drinks or they have this addiction or they have this issue. We think of all the things beyond the two that I'm about to read to you, which we've already read. So some of you already know. Some of you have a good memory. These are different than what I thought. But he classifies these two things as signals or signs that you are not spiritual and are not ready for the next thing. I know this is maybe not one of those messages you like to amen so much. But he says, he gives us two signs. Are you ready? Okay. And you still aren't ready for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. How do you know that, Paul? Paul, how do you know that? You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Those are the two things. In fact, he says simple nature, and some of yours it says flesh. And there's this weird kind of misunderstanding around flesh and what it means in the Bible. It, it, just like when he's saying spirit, it doesn't mean you just have one. It doesn't mean flesh like, oh yeah, you have one, because we are all, I don't know if you know this, we are all made of flesh. There's flesh on all of us. He's not saying that that in and of itself is wrong. He's saying that you're made of it, but you should not be moved by it. I don't know if you've ever held a baby when they want something and they don't care about their own safety and they will, they will reach for it, they will jump for it, they will just lean over all sorts of backwards and you like start to slowly lose control of them and then you do one of these things and end up on a viral video of like dad saves, you know, like that's you, that one of those like emo- amazing things, how did I pull that off? Because when, when we're immature or when we are young, we just reach for whatever we want. There's no, there's no what, fruit of the spirit, self-control. And what we do, what we, we really set young people up poorly because we tell them all about self-denial, denial, denial, denial. And then they get into situations where they don't have someone to tell them to stop it. No, 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 no. And then they have no self-control. Those are two different things. And so we should have self-control. But, 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 but we, we, we are people sometimes when we're controlled by our sinful nature, when we're controlled by the flesh, we, we just reach for whatever is there. right? We just throw ourselves at whatever is happening. When I'm talking to my son and the TV show is on that he really likes and I'm in front of the television, it doesn't somehow align him with me. What does he do? Y'all know what he does. <laughs> right? Just, oh, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Already. He's five years old. He already knows. What? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Got you, dad. Thanks. Appreciate it. Right? Because that's what we do. And some of us, we love to make kids look like the ones who don't struggle with things like that. Like we might, or, or, or the only ones who struggle with things like that, right? Like, I, yeah, my five-year-old, man, he just always, he just doesn't pay attention to me. <laughs> um, and then we don't pay attention to God, right? Like, or, or man, my son, he just always does whatever he wants. And then we go and grab uh, the food we said we're never going to eat again, right? Like we just, we love to make kids the only ones who struggle with wanting something that we shouldn't have, right? Um, ours were just, it's easier for us to cover up, right? We know how to hide it. We know how to look at someone while not listening to them. Right? And so, so here's Paul, and he goes, all right, here's the two things. I want to give you two things that make you unready for the thing that I want to give you. And he doesn't say alcohol. He doesn't say all the bad sins you do. He doesn't say, he says envy and quarreling, jealousy and argument. Those are the two things. Those, that's the list. Are you jealous of people 
And are you arguing with people? If those two things are present, then you're not ready. So, I mean, that's almost harder. I wish it was something like you drink too much. Because I don't even like beer. So that was easy for me. Right? I won't tell you what I do like, but I don't like beer, okay? Um, but, that, but like, it's, it's arguing and jealousy, which are both bred by comparison. See, 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 it was either one side where I'm jealous of what you have, and I want what you have, and I'm mad at God for not giving it to me, and I deserve what you have, and we are in a comparison culture, so we're jealous, or, oh, I don't like what you have, and I'm going to tell you about what I don't like or why I don't like it, and I'm going to be mad at you because you did it differently than I wanted you to do it. And so you're Apollos, and you're Paul, and I'm going to choose sides. In fact, some translations would have actually said we are people taking sides. Let me just read a couple to envy and jealousy, quarreling and strife. Another translation simply said it like this. You, have, you want everything going your way. And if you don't have everything going your way, you get upset and you get mad. And you, so you're not ready. There's a William Barclay quote who I love. I'm going to throw this on the screen because there's no chance I was going to remember all of it. Do you have that? To Paul, the flesh is much more than merely a physical thing. It means human nature apart from God, that part of men and women, both mental and physical, which provides a point of entry for sin. So the fault that Paul finds with the Corinthians is not that they are made of flesh, all human beings are, but that they have allowed this lower side of their nature to dominate all their outlook and all their actions. What is it about their life and conduct that makes Paul level such a rebuke at them? It is their partisan attitude, their strife, and their factions. This is extremely significant because it means that, oh, this is it. Are you ready? It means that you can tell what a person's relationship with God is by looking at the way that person relates to others. I kind of want to leave right now. Like, I don't like hearing, I just want to drop the mic and go, what? I don't, I don't want to read something like that. I'd much rather say you can't tell what your relationship with God is like because nobody gets to know because it's personal. But it actually says you can tell what a person's relationship with God is by looking at the way that person relates to others. I don't like that, but it's true. In other words, if I said to you, how's life going? Good, man. Yeah, I mean, what about that thing with Joe that you didn't like? Yeah, no, I don't like him. He's terrible. I hate him. I wish he would move on. I wish he would get fired. Well, what about, what about Susie? Yeah, she is just, she is a burden in my life, you know. What, did you ever reconcile with that person? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I like, you know, I mean, no, but yeah, sure. And then how are you and God? We're good. Like, we're good. Yeah, life's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I got like 12 people I wish would never come back around my life. And I got seven people that are on a list of people I wish were injured. And then I got 47 people that I commented on their Facebook and Instagram, even though I've never met them in my life. And I told them what I think about them. Yeah, and how are you and God? We're good. No, God and I, we are good. Like, this is amazing. Like, we, I love him. He loves me. We are in such good shape. We are, man, this is so good. And how are you with other people? I hate people. Now, listen, we've all known those people. Some of us have been those people. In fact, all of us, at one point or another, have been that person. Oh, I'm good with God. I don't like people, but I'm good with God. Sorry, that's not how it 
works. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like we don't we don't get to be people who pick sides. I'm not saying you don't get to point uh, things out. I'm not saying there aren't things that to, to talk, deal with and talk about. I'm not saying that there aren't conversations to be had and even disagreements about what matters and what matters most. But what I'm saying is that don't point out people in an effort to make them look less. Point out Jesus in an effort to make sure he looks like more than whatever the situation or scenario is. We are people that should be one and should be making more and more of us one. And we should be people who are not stri- have strife or quarreling. We aren't picking sides that when we are good with God, guess what? We are good with people. Because when we understand how good God is, when we understand how good God has been to you and I, There is nothing, and I mean this, as hard as it is for me to say, because I wish this wasn't the case. No matter how bad someone is, the goodness of God is still there for them. Because it was there for me. When I really understand what God has done in my life, then I don't hold people uh, ransom or hold people captive based upon something they've done in theirs. I understand there are decisions to be made and there are things that you have to work through and there's discernment about what's next, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, our effort, especially as believers, should be that we are doing everything we can. In fact, Paul says it like this, make every effort to dwell in unity of spirit. Make every effort, not part of them, not some of them, not 12 of the 14 that you wrote down, but every effort to dwell in unity. Because Jesus' prayer for you and I is that we would be one. So for us to get spiritual, for us to actually go to that place, part of it is the simple fact that we are looking at Jesus. We're pointing out Jesus. We're living in Christ. We're seeing Jesus in our lives more and more, being transformed from glory to glory to glory into the image of Christ Jesus, that we are at a place where we are relating to people, and we are empathizing with people, and we are encouraging people, and we are speaking life into people, and we are believing something about their future, even if everyone else says they're present is a mess. You cannot be spiritually mature and emotionally immature. You, you, you have to be getting, now I'm not saying you don't have things to work on. I'm not saying there aren't things that you need to do. I'm not saying there isn't growth. I'm not saying that the moment you work, walk into spiritual maturity that everything else follows suit. But I am saying that the more you put yourself in a place where you can be spirit-led, the more God will begin to put into your life the more God will begin to up the ante, the more God will go, oh, you're ready for this. Oh, yeah, you're ready for this. Oh, you forgave him? My goodness, man, I'm going to give you more. Like, hey, you, oh, you set him, oh, I'm going to give you more. You stopped comparing and you started encouraging. Oh, I'm going to give you more. I, I don't, I, I'm ready to give you more. It's not like Paul didn't have something to give. It was just waiting till the right time. And again, it's not even the condemnation thing. It's simply saying, if I were to give you this now, it would cause more pain and difficulty. If I were to give you this now at your state or in your place, then it would actually cause you, maybe you might choke on the food a little bit, or you might not quite understand the conversation, or you might take it and it actually becomes a burden rather than something that lifts you up because you haven't worked past just these couple things. And it is not a, oh, well, look at you. I can't believe you're there yet. It's a simply, hey, I want to see you grow, and this is what it needs, needs to happen to see that happen. 
Now, again, I would challenge you on this, that some of you are going to go out and try to do this on your own effort. That is not what Paul's saying either. Remember, the context of this is that if you would give yourself to the Spirit of God, if you would give yourself to Jesus, that he would begin to shape your mind. In fact, Romans 12, 2, the one that we all love to quote is that, hey, let him transform your mind. Right? But the first part of that verse is by offering your life as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service to God. So as you offer yourself to him, he will begin to renew your mind. And what's the end of that verse? That you would know the good and pleasing and perfect will of God because you are spiritual. Because you are being transformed. So many times we put the emphasis on what should be happening rather than who is going to make it happen. So we have to get to a place where we understand the thing that's keeping us from the next thing sometimes isn't some sin that we're struggling with or some addiction that we're dealing with. Or so. It is the simple fact that we are comparing ourselves to others, and that's causing us to argue. Or to have, and sometimes it's just arguing with ourselves, isn't it? Like sometimes we are arguing with people who do not even know we exist. Right? You'd be driving down the road, and you are just arguing. You're just mad, and you're, you're shouting at the radio. And we're just arguing. And we've got this thing, and I'm just, what if we just drove down the road and go, man, I'm going to pray for them. Because prayer is the most powerful place to find agreement. It is the most powerful place of agreement you could ever go into. Prayer. It'd be interesting. I remember hearing a story of a, a pastor who had, um, they had just built a building and found out that the, their executive pastor had embezzled $20 million. That's a lot of money. Um, and he lost everything got sued, lost everything, and uh, was homeless with his family uh, because he did nothing, but someone else did. And uh, he said he was driving down the road, and he had a list of 15 people. No joke. He goes, I had a list of 15 people because God goes, hey, I'm with you. And he goes, okay, well, I've got a list of 15 people I'd like you to kill off. <laughs> and somewhere in that process, somewhere in that drive, God goes, how about it's 15 people you need to forgive? Yeah. And so he, he made it a forgiveness list, and he began to pray over every single person on the list. God's restored everything to him and his family. Yeah. Pastoring a church still. Amazing people have come out of that church. I just want to encourage you that maybe God has a better plan for you, and he's got some stake waiting for you. I, I want to keep reading because i got to finish this because I just saw the guy come up. And, <laughs> and he says this, and I, I, I'm, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Verse 5, after all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? Now, obviously, he's not clueless as to who they are. He's, he's not like, oh, I, I don't know who this Apollos guy is that you keep comparing me to or keep choosing sides against me with. I don't, I don't know. who. No, he knows who they are. They're partners in this work, right? Uh, but he's saying, who are we in comparison to the one who actually makes all of this work? Who are, who are we in comparison to the God who is greater than everything? Who are we in comparison to the one who actually makes this grow? Who are we in comparison? See, so many times we allow the comparisons in our lives to happen because we have allowed, uh, heaven, we have allowed our earth thing to make an impact on heaven rather than heaven make an impact on earth. In other words, we're taking all the earthly issues and running to heaven with them and going, ah, oh, this is terrible, this is terrible, this is terrible, instead of going, oh, heaven, what does heaven say about what's going on? We, we have to raise our viewpoint. We have to raise our perspective. We, we have to stop taking earth to heaven and start bringing heaven to earth. We, we have to start being people who go, wait, who are these people and who are these, what are these situations and what are these circumstances and what is this commercial telling? What are these things that I'm elevating 
What are these things that I'm elevating above Jesus? What are these things that I'm making more important? Why am I doing that? In comparison to God, none of this matters because ultimately it is God who makes this all work. It is God who makes this all come together. So why am I allowing these things? Because what I'm elevating is actually directing my life, and it's why I'm ending up in strife, and it's why I'm ending up in argument, and it's why I'm not forgiving, and it's why I'm not running this race with people, and it's why I'm isolating myself. And it's Because I've elevated certain things as though they determine my identity, as though they determine my future, as though they determine who I am. But it is Jesus. That is it. That's why Paul says to his people, he says, hey, I want you to be so fully mature in Christ Jesus. I want you to be so mature in him. I want you to know who you are in Christ because that will make all the difference in the world. That's my whole aim is that you would become mature in Christ. But what does that look like? It looks like people, instead of comparing, we're championing. Instead of arguing with, we're finding places of agreement. I found that if I can just find a place of agreement with somebody, we can work out the rest of it. But when we let our differences be the driving force, then we find ourselves frustrated, discouraged. So Paul's going, who, who are we in the midst of all of these things? Who are we? Each of us just did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who even does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. Now, here's, here's where he switches a little bit. I, I'm not saying he's going to necessarily disagree with what he just said, but he did say, he says, who are we? Who are we? Who, what does it matter? Here's, but then he, but then he kind of comes back and goes, well, it does matter a little bit. And let me, let me just, verse eight, it says, the one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. So yeah, it's, it doesn't really matter. Ultimately, it doesn't matter if it's Paul and it doesn't matter if it's Apollos. What it does matter is that whoever it is and whoever it is is united in purpose. In other words, don't be planting a seed over here and watering soil over there because that will never, ever, ever grow. What will grow is, and here we go, when you bring a seed into the same place as you bring the water and God sees a people united and a people as one and then he goes I will bless that I will grow that that's why the psalmist says just like the the oil that runs down the beard of Aaron which is anointing just like the dew on the Mount Hermon which is refreshing that is what I am going to bless it is beautiful when brothers dwell together in harmony because man and it says at the very end of that psalm the psalmist says because that is where God commands the blessing. Where? Where the seed is and the water is. Yeah, but Paul, I'm thinking we should, we should put the seed over here. No, 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 we should put, and we could argue all day long about where we think, and I just, here's what I think it means. He actually doesn't say anything about the soil in this story. He just simply says, if people are unified, I'll bless it. If, if people will get together around the table, I'll bless it. And it was hard for them, and yeah, it took some time, and they even started saying things like, well, maybe we should do it every other week because our schedules, and, and then eight weeks later, they're saying, we're family. I'll bless it. If, if people just gather together on a Sunday morning and, 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 and worship the Lord and get in unison under the name of Jesus, I'll bless it. 
Man, if people would forget all the offenses and all the hurts and all the stuff, and they would forgive it, not just forget it, they would forgive it, and they would, because forgiveness creates the space for you to begin to bless again. If all your forgiveness is done is, 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 is allow, and I'm not saying this is easy, please hear me, but if all your forgiveness is done is allow you to walk away from it, in some cases that's what you need to do, but you now need to be able to walk into a place and go, well, I'm not going to be affected by this at all. I remember a story of my dad. He's sitting in the room. I remember a season in our life as a family where we absolutely could have been offended and hurt and mad. And I remember watching, uh, and it was very serious things, and I remember watching my family, my parents, and my dad especially um, uh, not say a negative word about them. And those, those relationships have been restored. I remember it affected me so much that I said something inappropriate <laughs> to someone as I was walking out of the building. And I remember having to drive. You know, sometimes God just messes you up. I had to go one way and I had to come back. And I knew their car was still there, so I knew they were still there. And it's like the only, and so I pulled in and I walked back in and I said, hey, I shouldn't have said what I said. I'm sorry. And I had every, let's just be real clear. I had every right to say what I said. But God just doesn't want us to allow our life to be dictated by the things we can't forgive. God doesn't want us to, to look at people based upon their offenses or based upon their mistakes or based upon where they've screwed up. Because that's just, we're people. People are always the problem. And people are always the solution. Ain't that fun? Jesus doesn't want you to be held captive by what has happened. He wants you to let go of those things so much so that you've forgotten it. Just like 1 Corinthians 13, keep no record of wrong because love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's why love casts out all fear because there's nothing that person can do to me ever again. Because not only can they not hold me back, but they, I'm going to give them a blessing. I'm going to forgive them and pray over them. I'm going to speak life. And they don't, I'm not telling you they deserve it. I'm telling you, you know who you are in Christ. And Christ has so set you free that quarreling and comparison and jealousy no longer determine what kind of person you are and the words that come out of your mouth and the thoughts that you let dominate. He says, if we would just get united in purpose. The reason Paul, and, Paul is really speaking to this idea is that what we, have, what we tend to do is we want the kingdom without the king. We are in a culture now, right now, that wants the kingdom without the king. We want all the love, joy, peace, patience that we can get. And we say it and we speak it and we do all those things. But that came from a king. That came from a belief that Christ was who he said he was. That came from a belief that all humans mattered. And it came from, and it doesn't mean we're all perfect. But what you're seeing, I think, personally, what I think you're seeing is that when you want the kingdom without the king, and you, you, you get rid of the king. And you say that God doesn't have any right here anymore. And that Jesus isn't a part of this anymore. What you begin to see is everyone gets to choose their own king. Because the, king, the characteristics of the kingdom always emanate from the character of the king. And so when you want the love, you can't just do it because you want it. It's got to emanate from someplace. It's got to come from somewhere. 
the values that you want. And so you're, what you're seeing is, and none of them are necessarily evil. None of them are necessarily bad. But you see a bunch of people choosing who my king is today. And what you've seen happen in our country and what you see happen all over the place is that you begin to see this thing peel apart. You begin to see this thing drift apart. And you begin to see factions. You begin to see argument. You begin to see strife. You begin to see jealousy. You begin to see comparison. Because instead of agreeing upon the cornerstone that is Christ Jesus and letting every brick fit in where it should, we have begun to pick our own king and hoping that the kingdom stays together. And that's not how it works. I'd just be curious to you, who have you chosen as your king? Where is the jealousy coming from? Where is the strife and the argument showing up? What's causing it? Because Jesus has something for you. He really does. He has more for you. He has more for you. But is there jealousy? Is there comparison? Is there factions? Are you choosing sides? God wants it for you. And he wants you to know that it's not out of your own strength that you're going to figure this out. It's when you put your eyes upon Jesus and he authors and perfects your faith. And you will grow and you will grow and you will grow and you will grow. And the more you grow, the more you can handle. The more you grow, the more you can do. And the more you grow, the more he'll give you. The more you grow, if you will just be faithful in putting your eyes upon him. Let's not be a church that allows strife in comparison to rule our day. Amen? Let's see Jesus. Let's see Jesus. Let's see Jesus and bring everybody under the name of Jesus. Because he's unaffected by everything. Me, I get affected by a lot of things. He's unaffected by how everything's going. So I'm going to put my eyes upon him, the anchor of my soul. I want you to bow your heads. Lord, I thank you so much for today. God, I thank you that we, God, you have plans for us. You have desires for us. You have wants for us. And for some of us, the thing that is holding us back, in fact,